year to you. My name's Joel, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you. If you're visiting with us today, you're our guest, and it's delightful to have you here with us. Um, Well, isn't the new year a wonderful time, even though it really is, as Jeff said the other day to me, it's only the change of a calendar page, really. Uh, In many respects, uh, you know, life just keeps happening. But it is for many people, and myself included, an opportunity to, I guess, reconsider to uh, realign perhaps ourselves with our deepest values, Uh, to just take a a moment, whether we're on holidays, on leave, and maybe a a different setting, but just to take take stock of life, uh, where we're headed and what's important, and maybe to make some changes to realign ourselves uh, with what matters most. And when we're going through that process of of re-evaluating, of really considering, well, what is the most important priority in life and uh, am I seeking to, to live accordingly? Uh, I think it's really helpful for us to get back to basics, to get back to basics in life, but to get back to basics in faith, in Christianity and what it's all about. And today's reading, many of you, if not all of you, would be familiar with the, the greatest commandment and the greatest commission. And if we were to boil these two great statements of Jesus or commands of Jesus down to their core elements, it would simply be this. Love God, love people, and make disciples. Love God, love people, and make disciples. These three commands sum up the Christian faith. And and whilst in in many respects they sound very simple, (laughs) I'm sure many of us would be able to attest to the fact that they are anything but simple and in fact take a great deal of intentionality. If we're actually to live a life uh, dedicated to these core purposes of loving God, of loving people and of making disciples, it's going to take effort on our behalf. It's going to take us being intentional about seeking to do these things. None of these things just happen by themselves, do they? (laughs) Even once we've become a disciple of Jesus, we don't just automatically start loving people and loving God and making disciples. It's something that we have to actually give ourselves to. Now, there are two reasons why I've selected this topic for today. The first one, as I mentioned, is I think at the start of the year, it's always good for us to get back to basics, to get back to the core of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But secondly, here at Erinner Community Baptist, we have a vision, and our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples. And we have six vision scenarios, which I guess, if you like, indicate to us what a Christ-centered disciple looks like in regards to six different areas. And the first one is in regards to worship. We desire Christ-centered disciples who offer their whole lives uh, in worship of God in spirit and in truth. A Christ-centered disciple here at Erinna is someone who engages in constant conversation with Father God, knowing that he answers prayer. Uh, In regards to discipleship, we desire to see mature or complete followers of Jesus who are maturing in faith and multiplying. As far as outreach is concerned, we desire to see people who, who have a heart to share the gospel, both through word and deed. In regards to global mission, we want to partner with our cross-cultural workers, those who have actually gone to foreign countries to seek unreached people groups. We want to partner with them and support them financially and prayerfully. And finally, around justice, our, our heart 
is to see followers of Jesus become um, active respondents to God's heart for justice. So the big picture of our vision is to grow Christ-centred disciples, and then we have these six vision scenarios of what that actually looks like in practice. Does that make sense? Now, as you will see, the first three, worship, prayer, and discipleship, all relate to our relationship with God. They have a God-would focus. Uh, So in this instance, they're about loving God. And then the final three, outreach, sharing the gospel, uh, global mission, taking the gospel to to unreached people groups, and seeking to do justice, uh, have a people focus. So we kind of have a Godward focus and a people focus. Uh, And the overall vision of the church is to grow Christ-centered disciples. So you can actually see how, within our vision, the greatest commandments and the greatest commission are encompassed in that. And so what we're actually going to do over the following six weeks, starting next Sunday, is walk through each of our vision scenarios. So next week we'll start with worship. We'll take an entire week to give consideration to the biblical support Uh, and origin and root, if you like, of each of those six statements that I've just explained, as well as during the services, give you an opportunity to hear about the different ministries that we have in the life of this church um, that facilitate and that enable us to grow in each of those areas. So that at the end of that six weeks, my heart and desire is that every person here has a very clear understanding of what we're on about as a church and how we can get involved in growing as Christ-centered disciples. So that, But I thought today, let's just focus in on the greatest commandment, loving God and loving people, and the Great Commission, making disciples, as a little bit of an overall banner of what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. How does that sound? Sound good? Why don't we pray, and then let's get into the content of today's message. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege of being able to gather as your people. We thank you for the body of Christ and that we are welcomed into a family when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that the walk of the Christian is not one done alone, but it is one done in community. And so this morning it is significant that we sit together in community under your word, knowing that this isn't just about individuals, but this is about how we as your people seek to further your kingdom and grow more like Jesus. And so this morning as we just take a brief look at the great commandment and the great commission. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak, that you would open up our hearts and ears to hear what you would have to say to us. And at the start of this new year, Lord, may we be inspired to get back to basics, to recommit ourselves and where possible and where necessary to realign our lives, our time uh, and the things that we do to make a greater contribution towards loving you, loving others and making disciples. Amen. Well, when Jesus was questioned about what the greatest commandment of the law is, he quoted two scriptures. The first one was from Deuteronomy 6.5, and he immediately followed it up with Leviticus 19.18. What Jesus essentially did in this moment was he actually gathered up, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament in total. And Jesus gathers all of those 613 laws up and he reduces them to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. 
Jesus does not propose that a person needs to subscribe to a, a, set and cert, a certain set of beliefs. It's about relationships. In fact, it's all about relationships. Relationship first and foremost with God, and then relationship with others. And amidst, as Trev said earlier, you know, amidst all the different things that we can get caught up in in this life, and there are so many, aren't there? Whether it's maintaining a house, or whether it's your job, or catching up with family, or, or taking holidays, maintaining a car, there's all of these things, so many things, having an education, staying on top of your finances. There's so many things that we as people do. We're very complex beings. But at the end of the day... It all boils down to our relationships. There is nothing more important than our relationships. And I don't know about you, but I need to constantly be brought back to this reality. I personally have a problem with putting possessions before people. And that's a challenge for me. And that's something that I'm seeking God to to work with in my life, is to ensure that people are always the priority. That's what God wants his people to make others and to make relationship with him the the very priority, the very essence of who we are and all that we're about. Lord, would you grant us your perspective that we might see and understand relationships and the centrality of them as you do. So we are to put God first Our relationship with him is, of course, above all others. It is kind of, if you like, uh, the primary relationship that we are to cultivate. And as you would know, that relationship, that relationship with Father God, then shapes and informs every other relationship we have. And in fact, if we're to love other people as Jesus commanded us to, as we'll talk about shortly, we need the love of God pouring into our lives. We can only love others the way God calls us to if we first seek to love him and spend time in his presence. So loving God is, I guess, the overarching um, relationship that then affects all others, and it flows down from there. And the text is very specific. It doesn't just tell us to love God. It tells us to love your God, So there's a very personal emphasis placed in this commandment. It's not just to love the God. (laughs) It's to love your God. Jesus personalizes it. And then he goes on further to say, love the Lord your God. In Matthew's gospel, Mark and Luke add strength, but we're talking from Matthew's today. So in Matthew's gospel, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Heart, soul, and mind effectively um, mean your entire person. (laughs) Every part of you, every aspect of who you are is to be given in love for God. So what might that look like in relation to loving God with our heart, loving God with our soul, and loving God with our mind. The Bible speaks a lot about the heart. Here are just four brief verses that direct us in this respect. Psalm 51.10 Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
Renew a loyal spirit within me. Psalm 9 verse 1. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart is. And Proverbs 3, 5, very well known. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and depend not on your own understanding. That's just, as I mentioned, four verses. But what these verses indicate about our relationship, our heart relationship to God, is that it is to be one of dependence. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Only God can create within us a heart that is pure and that will seek him. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So we love God by valuing him. When the scriptures speak there of treasure, they speak of things that we value. And we love God with all our heart by valuing him, prioritizing him. Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Probably the best way I've found trying to understand how to love God with all of our heart is to worship him. Uh, We're to worship God with our whole selves, with our whole lives. Uh, Worship, as we're going to talk about next week, is not just something we do here on Sunday morning, although that's a very important part. It's something we seek to do with our whole lives. We worship God. When we worship God, we love him with our hearts. What about loving God with your soul? Sometimes people will refer to their closest partner, maybe their husband or wife or their lover, as their soulmate. And I guess this is a very endearing term that in some way is trying to describe the sense of intimacy and oneness that this couple experience and enjoy. God is meant to be our soulmate. (laughs) Our souls were created to be in intimate connection and relationship with the creator of our souls. And when God's soul and our soul connects, something very beautiful takes place. And it's as if our soul is then able to be focused on him and filled. I think there's, now there's a lot of mystery around the person, a person's soul. Uh, for that reason alone, I think a lot of us just never talk about the soul. Something I have a great interest in is how do we tend to our souls? How do we care for our souls? Uh, the Bible certainly speaks a lot about the soul. In regards to the mystery of the soul, though, I think that there's a connection between our soul and creation, or our soul and nature. Have you ever been down to the beach and just taken a walk along the ocean? Or maybe you've just spent time just sitting, uh, absorbing the amazing scenery, marvelling at the vastness of the ocean, listening to the waves crashing in, and perhaps leaving that scene and maybe commenting to someone, that was really good for my soul. Or have you ever gone for a bushwalk and and just gotten away, maybe gone camping, gotten away from the pressure of modern life, and as you walk into the bush, as you kind of escape, if you like, into a completely different realm, um... And, and the, the cares and the responsibilities of life seem to just slowly dissipate and leave you behind, 
you have a feeling, even if you just think it or say it to yourself, oh, this, this is good for the soul. You know, those are experiences that I can certainly relate to. I want you to listen to Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. I don't think it's any coincidence that the Lord our shepherd takes us to places of beauty in his creation, green meadows, still waters, to refresh our soul. I want to invite you and encourage you as a way to love the Lord your God with all of your soul, to try and find some space in your week maybe 20 minutes, half an hour, I don't know, and, and wherever it might be in creation where you can simply just rest in God's presence. What might that look like for you? To physically place yourself by still waters and green pastures because God's Word tells us that that's the place where He refreshes our soul. That might be the greatest gift you give to yourself this year if you could develop a rhythm of just placing yourself intentionally in the beauty of God's creation with no agenda other than just to simply be still and see what he does for your soul. And finally, loving God with all your mind. Well, one of the key verses that comes to mind when we think of this is Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Our minds are constantly being filled with content, aren't they? whether it's from the TV, whether it's from the newspaper, whether it's from the radio, whether it's from our mobile device. Uh, everywhere we go, there's advertising, there's, we're reading books, we're doing all kinds of things. A lot of them are good things. But all of these things are coming and feeding our mind. One of the ways that we can intentionally love the Lord our God with all of our mind is to be really thoughtful and again, intentional about what we're feeding our minds. Are we feeding our minds where we have the choice to do so? Because obviously there's a lot of stuff that just kind of comes into our world that we have no say in many respects over whether it comes into our mind or not. But there's also a lot that we do get to choose what comes into our mind. What if we were to examine the things that we're feeding ourselves with? Are those things building us up as believers? Are they honoring God? Are they enabling us to focus on Him and, and to, to love Him as disciples? So in summary, let me offer this as some practical steps to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Regarding your heart, worship God. Pour your heart out. We've just finished a series called Come to Worship and we spent all of December talking about our posture. We talked about raising hands and bowing our knee and pouring out our heart and bringing our gifts and all of these are ways that we can intentionally worship God with all of our heart. In terms of loving God with all your soul, maybe even start today, just for a period of time, get yourself 
to some still waters or some green meadows if you can find that place. (laughs) Some of us might even have this place in our own backyard. I don't know. It's just about finding that space that works for you. And then finally, maybe over the next week or so, just start to examine and question the things that you're feeding your mind with. Are these things wholesome? Are these things actually pointing me towards God and, and building me up as a disciple? All right, loving people. Jesus said to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, loving your neighbor as you love yourself is a big call. It kind of sounds straightforward, but it's a big call. For starters, it means a whole lot more than simply loving those who love you. Jesus said in Luke 6.32, If you love only those who love you, well, what credit is that to you? Now, when questioned about who one's neighbor is, Jesus went on to tell the very well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. And this pushes the envelope significantly in terms of what it means to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Culturally, it would have been unthinkable for a Samaritan to associate and help a Jew. And I guess what Jesus is pointing to in this parable is that we are to love people who are remarkably different to us. And it's probably going to inconvenience us. Um, The answer is not religion. (laughs) And it's interesting in that particular parable because the two religious people, the priest and the Levite, pass the hurt man by. But the Samaritan doesn't. I think that's a very sobering reality for us as kind of religious types, if I can use that language. Another way to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan is to actually effectively place ourselves in the place of the hurt and beaten man and to think about Jesus as the Good Samaritan who comes along and finds us in our broken and helpless state. And Jesus ministers to us. He cares for us. He has compassion on us. He pays for our debts. And in a sense, by doing so, he then sets the rhythm or the pattern of how we are to go about, as his followers, loving others. And this is a big call, as I said. It's a real challenge. I think it's a challenge to us because I know personally speaking that um, Christians tend to spend most of their time with Christians and and whether we intentionally avoid people who are not believers or not, um, what this parable says to us about loving our neighbour says we've got to get beyond our circles of Christian friends. We've got to actually place ourselves in positions where we're going to have opportunity to connect with and relate to people who don't know God. And then we actually need to Except that being inconvenienced by them, by loving them, is what it means to love one's neighbour as one loves themselves. And we'll talk about this when we get to justice and and global mission particularly, because, you know, loving our neighbour as we love ourselves is so far and wide. Yes, it absolutely includes loving our literal neighbour, the person who lives next door to us, (laughs) Uh, but it, it, it expands to the voiceless orphan 
in a foreign country. It extends to the, the child who is, is working in slave labor, who has no voice. And, and for us as a church, certainly partnering with IJM and Baptist World Aid, Global Interaction to Reach Unreached People Groups, is certainly an extension. It's a part of how we love our neighbor. Lord, open our eyes, our hearts, and our home to our neighbors that we might love them with your love. Finally, make disciples. Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The Great Commission centers around one principal command, and that is to make disciples. There are three steps to how we go about doing this. Firstly, you go. Now, Acts 1.8 will offer geographical instruction, Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria. Uh, but in, and we'll talk about that when we get to our week when we're going to speak about global mission. But for now, we're rooted in Matthew 28. And in Matthew 28, Jesus' command is meant to be understood in these terms as you go. So in a sense, as you go about your daily life, as you go about your work, as you go about raising your family, as you go about buying your groceries, or as you go about playing sport, all these things, as you go, make disciples. It's a very integrated approach. Often we seem to segmentate or separate kind of what we do with church friends and activities and programs with whatever else is happening in our lives, Jesus has a much more integrated vision. It's all connected. And so as a follower, as Jesus, as a disciple yourself, you are to recalibrate your life so that in everything you do, you're seeking to be a disciple maker. And clearly, the way that we live our lives will have a huge impact on this. So if we're loving God with all our heart, soul and mind, we're going to be more integrated and we're going to be disciple makers because that is his desire for us. So where to go? Secondly, we are to baptise people. Firstly, indicating their identification with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection, but also welcoming them into the universal family of God. And thirdly, we're to teach people and this is the ongoing process by which disciples continually become transformed uh, through the teachings of Jesus, coupled with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to become more and more like him. In essence, Jesus simply declares uh, that his disciples are to make more of what he has made of them. He's kind of made these 11 or 12 disciples, it's 11 when he gives this command. And they're essentially just to go and continue to replicate how he's discipled them. Discipleship is a lifelong process, and it certainly begins with someone placing their trust in Christ, Saviour and Lord. But from that point, it's a constant journey of learning and growing and becoming more Christ-like. And many of you will have heard of the Paul and Timothy principle that ideally in life, as believers, we have someone in front of us, someone who is kind of mentoring or, or discipling us, and there's someone behind us, someone that we're looking to and pouring ourselves into. 
It's the role of every single believer to be involved in the process of discipleship. First and foremost, we have to be obedient disciples ourselves. And from that place, we then get about making other disciples. If not already as an act of obedience and a sign of your universal um, fellowship with the body of believers, I encourage people to be baptised. And then in terms of teaching, I encourage you to commit yourself to an ongoing rhythm of learning the ways of Jesus, that we may not only learn those things, but seek to live them. And I can tell you again from experience, that is best done in community. That's why God's people gather. And we're certainly gathering together on Sunday as an important piece to that, but also gathering with small groups of believers in whatever shape or form that takes during the week to continue encouraging one another on the journey of becoming disciples. Discipleship is not about addition, as many of us have understood it. Kind of someone becomes a believer and it's, it's almost like, well, oh, that stops. Uh, discipleship in Jesus' model is multiplication. So you actually disciple someone, not just to kind of get them saved, but to set up a rhythm in their own life where they seek to disciple others. The gospel, when it comes to discipleship, is not to be like an ornament that we place on a shelf that we get a lot of pleasure from ourselves, but is only in the confines of our home and only really for our eyes. Uh, Conversely, the gospel is to be like a a great book or, or maybe a great movie that you watch and you're so excited about it, you just have to keep telling others about it. Uh, you may buy several copies of this book or DVD to hand to others so they can not only hear about it for, from you, but they can actually discover it themselves. And this is what discipleship is to look like. It's not something we keep. It's something we continually pass on. I want to encourage you to consider this. You're only a disciple because someone discipled you. You are only sitting here today, most likely, because someone took an interest in you. Now, for many of us, that may have been to start with our mum or our dad or both. There'll be others of us here whose parents were not followers and it was someone else Maybe as you think about your journey as a disciple, who was it or who is it that took a significant interest in your faith and discipled you? And I want to invite you to do something for that person this week. You may have lost contact with that person or that person may still be in your life. But I want to invite you to write a letter of thanks to that person and tell them how much their discipling of you means to you today. Maybe there's someone who's very special for you and maybe you did many years ago but you haven't had the chance to encourage them. Now this is going to do two things. Firstly, it's going to actually take you right back to what it was like to be discipled. And that in and of itself might be something that really sparks something within your heart to say, I need to get back to that. 
I need to have someone who I meet with regularly who's sowing into my life and encouraging me in my faith. But imagine what it will be like for the person who receives this random letter or this card. Maybe it's someone you haven't seen for decades and they're going to receive a handwritten card or letter testifying to the difference that they made in your life. Now, I wonder what that will do for them as a disciple. Maybe they're continuing. Maybe they're still discipling others. Maybe it will spark something within them that says, oh my goodness, that really made a difference. I need to keep doing that. So can I invite you to consider this week writing to someone who discipled you? See what that does for yourself. Get in touch with those feelings and those memories and write about them. Tell that person what it meant to you right from the heart. See what that does for you and let's see what that does for them. And then I want to invite you to consider who can you disciple? Who can you disciple? Now, for some of us, maybe it's really obvious. And if you're a parent, I want to say, start with your kids. They're only young for so long as everyone in this church keeps telling me. (laughs) Disciple them, read the Bible to them, spend time with them, teaching them the ways of God. We have a very limited window. And as many parents in this room, and again, for some of you, our more senior brothers and sisters in this room, Please get alongside parents and just encourage them in the value of discipling their own kids and not just leaving it to to church or youth ministries, as, as often can so be the case. So disciple your own kids. But maybe there's someone else that God places in your heart. And I want to say, often again, we might think of terms, we might think in terms of a believer, and that's absolutely valid. So discipleship in your life may look like walking with a believer, but you're, you're committed to helping them grow in their faith and understanding the teachings of Jesus and seeking to live the ways of Jesus. But maybe Jesus will give us someone to disciple who's not yet a believer, but he wants us intentionally to spend time with that person, to pray for them, and just to have that heart that God wants to disciple them through you. So my invitation to you is don't be closed. Be open and start by asking God. Maybe you will do this when you create space in your week to get to those still waters. And you say, Lord, who would you have me disciple? And just sit with that question and trust that the God of the universe hears you and actually has a real interest in your life and in the person that he is going to bring into your life to disciple you and the person that he is going to call and invite you to disciple. You don't have to figure it all out. God is with us. As we read in Matthew 28, I am with you to the very end of the age. We're not in this alone. God is with us. He has given us his spirit and we can trust him to lead and guide us. And then finally, if God does lay a person on your heart and it may, it may take you by surprise or it may be staring you in the face, can I encourage you again in a day and age where handwritten letters are so rare, 
to maybe consider writing that person a letter. Just tell them what they mean to you and simply say that it's on your heart to spend more time with them and how can we do that? And again, it's not about having a big agenda. It's just about, as we got, we started very early on, it's about relationships. So fostering those relationships, being people who love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and allowing that to then flow through to all of the relationships that we have. So back to basics. Love God, love people, and make disciples. Why would we bother doing all of this? Well, the answer is found at the table, which is where we're going to turn to now. The Bible tells us that we love because God first loved us. It also says in Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We love God with our hearts and our soul and our mind, and we seek to love others as a right and proper response to the God who loved us. At Calvary, Christ's body was broken for you and for me. Christ's blood was shed for you and for me. And so at the beginning of a new year, I want to encourage you to get back to basics. I want to encourage you to consider how you can reorientate or reshape your life to be as intentional as you can be about loving God, loving people, and making disciples. And we have an opportunity now to come and receive the bread and the juice that represents Christ's broken body and shed blood for us to recommit ourselves and to be reminded of why we do all this in the first place. This table speaks to us of God's great love for us. Would you join me in prayer? I'll invite the stewards to come forward as we pray. Let's just take a brief moment to reflect on what God may have been saying to us this morning. Loving God, we gather around your table now and we thank you for all that it represents. It represents relationship, the relationship that you had with your disciples, that first Passover meal that you shared with them. It represents relationship that we've had with a person who brought us to you and to your feet. And that relationship brought us to your table as well. This table speaks to us of the relationship that we share with one another because we don't eat this meal in isolation. We meet it as the body of Christ. 
And it speaks to us of the relationship you desire, the ongoing relationship you desire to have with us, a relationship of dependence. We know that you use bread as a metaphor for what people live on. You said man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that flows from the mouth of God. And so we come and we receive as an act of dependence upon you and as an act of discipleship to you. And as we seek to follow you, I pray that we may be a people committed to discipling others who will also go on to disciple others. So this morning we receive the bread and the wine with grateful and thankful hearts. Amen.